Borderlands Buzz, a podcast brought to you by the Borderlands Research Institute at Sulraw State University. The Borderlands Research Institute is conserving the last frontier through research, education, and outreach. Support for this podcast comes from Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation. Hi, I'm Lydia Saldana with the Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation. We're partnering with the Borderlands Research Institute to bring you this podcast. Our guests today are Dr. Bonnie Warnock, Dean of the College of Agricultural and Natural Resource Sciences at Sol Ross State University, and Borderlands Research Institute graduate student, Colm Simpson. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we're going to cover a couple of top topics today, ranging from um, wildlife research to what it's like being a student and uh, at BRI and Sol Ross and the path that brought you here and whatever else might come up. So let's just kind of get going here. Dr. Warnock, I'm going to start with you. And why don't you first just tell us about the program that you lead there at Sol Ross? Um, so a couple of years ago, I transitioned into being the Dean of the College of Agricultural and Natural Resource Sciences. So right now I'm over animal science and natural resource management and the uh, industrial technology and the Borderlands Research Institute. Um, but my research program has always focused on restoration and balancing restoration with um, agricultural production and how do you do good restoration and good management in working landscapes. Okay. Now, I also understand, and this is going to come into play later on in the conversation, but you're a longtime landowner and rancher out there in West Texas, too. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So my family's been ranching in Brewster and Pecos County since the 1880s. So I grew up on a ranch between Marathon and um, Fort Stockton. Um, my husband and I still ranch out here. So um, and I drive in from north of Marathon to Alpine every day and um, really enjoy, you know, continuing to be someone who's involved in production agriculture and the ranching industry. Wow, a commute from Marathon to Alpine every day. That, that's got to be a commute just about anywhere else in Texas for you. <laughs> uh, now, Colm, I understand that you just recently defended your thesis. Uh, tell us how did that go and tell us about your project and, and, and some of the key findings. Yeah, so defending my thesis went great. Uh, very nervous leading up to it, but um, I think in the end that I, I passed. Um, some of the things stuff about my project. So we looked at how black-tailed prairie dogs influence vegetation and cattle movement within the Marathon Basin. Um, and really the, the take-home message from our results were that prairie dogs continuous grazing seasonally increases the protein. And the seasonal increase in protein, cattle respond to that by increasing their grazing in the cattle or in the prairie dog colony. Now, was that was that a surprising finding for you, Colum? I mean, what? Yes and no. Um, okay. You know, so the, this type of project hadn't been done in the Chihuahuan Desert, but it had been done um, throughout the Western United States, and so um, I think it was just a it was a, maybe a reassurance um, that this was what was happening. Um, on the landscape. And I know that like several of the ranchers around there, Dr. Warnock including, um, are aware of that relationship. 
Um, it's just, you know, showing the, the scientific data to prove that. Okay. So Dr. Warnock, what was your role in Cullum's project? So I was one of his committee members, and I am going to say that Colm did a really good job in his thesis defense. Um, and so, you know, I was there to be an advisor, particularly with, um, you know, we were using live cattle um, in the project. And so to, you know, just kind of help and support with that, um, answer questions about um, field methods and, you know, just, you know, really kind of be um, a sounding board and a mentor um, through his project. So Colm, can you uh, tell us a little bit about how Dr. Warnock helped you during the course of this project? Yeah, so Dr. Warnock was instrumental in helping me with this project. Um, everything from helping get the collars on our cattle um, to the you know daily care of those cattle and then plant identification and a lot of help in the nutrition lab as we were analyzing our data, as well as statistical analysis and, and even writing up my thesis. Okay. And, and you, know, you, you described all that. Can you go in a little deeper and tell us what you did to gather the data that you then analyzed? Give us a kind yeah. of a, let's get down into the, pardon the pun, weeds and, and tell us how you got the data. Yeah, so we used, um, we used 25 Dixon Water Foundation um, cattle that are a cross between a Hereford and a Red Angus. Um, and we put collars on 10 of those cattle that were set to take GPS locations um, 24 hours a day, every 30 minutes. And we rotated those cattle through three um, pastures that all had um, varying ratios of prey dog colony to non-prey dog colony. And as we rotated those pastures, or as we rotated the cattle through the pastures, uh, I followed that rotation by collecting um, vegetation by species. Um, and this vegetation by species um, was then analyzed uh, in our nutrition lab to look at different nutritional properties, um, digestibility, as well as um, protein content on and off the prairie dog colony, as well as seasonally in relationship to those cattle movements that we were able to track using the collar data. You know, and it was, you know, as Colm started collecting this data, you know, he was coming from the hill country and it's a little bit different in the Chihuahuan Desert. And so, you know, there was a little bit of, you know, oh, how do you, you know, collect vegetation data in high winds or when it's really foggy? And I think Colm, didn't you nearly like get rained out one day yeah so you know in the monsoonal season um you go out there to do your vegetation your sampling and um everything's great in the morning and then about three o'clock um your afternoon rainstorms start um and so it's always kind of a a game trying to get your vegetation sampling done in the time frame that you needed to get it done without getting um drenched and maintaining quality data um, but then, you know, in the spring out in the Chihuahuan Desert, the winds just howl and trying to get accurate measurements of vegetation weight in the field when the wind's blowing 40 miles an hour, uh, it, it has its challenges. <laughs> it sounds like it. It sounds like it. But you, you and again, more puns, you weathered the storm, didn't you? <laughs> so, so you mentioned you collared the, the cattle. So you weren't actually handling prairie dogs then? No, no. So our, our study was really looking at 
the effect that prey dogs the effect that prey dogs cause on the vegetation and how cattle respond to that okay. that effect which is the grazing okay okay now i know um prairie dog you know conservation prairie dogs and landowners and uh, prairie dogs and you know ranchers that hasn't always been a um a seamless relationship, right, Dr. Warnock? Yeah. You want to talk a little bit about kind of some of the controversy related to prairie dogs and maybe how some of these research projects are helping um, educate landowners? Yeah, so, um, you know, anytime you have a uh, wildlife species that can cause damage or is in direct competition with um, livestock or an economic return, you know, there's always some tension that's going to be there. And um, prairie dogs, you know, are keystone species, but they really have a big impact on the environment because of that. And so there's a perception by ranchers that um, that having prairie dogs actually decreases stocking rates. And so you can have less cattle um, because you have prairie dogs. Um, there's concern um, about um, cattle and horses, you know, stumbling in a hole and breaking a leg. Um, and there's also a concern with um, plague and um, the incidence of plague in prairie dog towns. Um, so, which prairie dogs don't actually carry plague, they succumb to plague very, very quickly. But there's just been kind of a history of you know, conflict between uh, ranchers and farmers and, and prairie dogs. So this type of research is really important in pointing out the benefits of having prairie dogs on your ranch. Um, you know, looking at this idea of quantity versus quality when we're talking about vegetation and how, yeah, maybe you have less quantity, but with prairie dogs there, you're going to have higher quality. And so, you know, really kind of thinking about how do you integrate that into a management plan rather than thinking about eradication. Um, so these types of things and having conversations about good prairie, prairie dog conservation and management, I think is really important. So how is the information from research studies like the one that Colm just finished, how is that uh, shared with landowners? So we do a lot of different things with the Borderlands Research Institute. One of the, those is this um, podcast, but there's also <laughs> um, a, um, you know, the newsletter um, that goes out and we do um, field tours. Um, so just a lot of ways that we try to really connect with landowners. And one of the things that BRI does is really try to respond to our local rancher and landowners questions and needs. So, you know, we have in the Marathon Basin, you know, really kind of the last big um, prairie dog um, colony here in the Trans-Pecos um, region. And so, there's questions, you know, how do I manage? Is this good for my cows? And so in a lot of ways, the ranchers will reach out to us. And so then they have a really, they have a real vested interest in kind of coming to meetings, reading the um, newsletters and really kind of learning from what we're learning. So where did the idea for this project come from? Did it come, did it come from a rancher? Um, so I've actually been <laughs> working with um, prairie dogs at some level for several years. And so there is real interest in 
how prairie dogs can be used um, as a means of brush control and um, with fire prevention or fire breaks and those types of things, in addition to how do they integrate with cattle grazing. So there have been, you know, questions raised by landowners on, you know, what does good prairie dog management look like in um, the Chihuahuan Desert grasslands? Okay, so now, Colm, I know you probably did a lit review as part of your, your, um, your, your thesis project. Where does mm -hmm. this project kind of fit in with everything else that's been done, and did it fill in any gaps? You mentioned that it was the first study of it's kind of in the Chihuahuan Desert, but was there anything else about it that, that kind of helped fill in a gap somewhere? Yeah, so, so there was one other study in, in Chihuahua, Mexico, that was done that was very similar. Um, but as far as, you know, the, the Chihuahuan Desert in Texas, looking at, you know, cattle and prairie dogs, um, it really kind of helps fill in that gap for the southern end of the black-tailed prairie dogs um, range. Um, and one of the things that you, when you get into literature is you have different classifications of grasslands. Um, and so, you know, obviously the results that you're going to see in this study in Montana are going to be different than what we saw in Texas. And so this project helped answer those questions um, for this, you know, southern region of the Chihuahuan Desert. Okay. Okay. So Dr. Warnick, you, of course, your family's been there for generations. I know you've been teaching there at Sol Ross for 20 years. Have you noticed a difference in the attitude of landowners toward prairie dogs? So, yes, you know, I think there's just been over time, this general shift to valuing wildlife more. Um, and it doesn't matter what kind of wildlife, again, you know, if it's a game species, it generates a lot of revenue and that puts higher value on it. But, you know, landowners have really started paying more attention to um, all types of wildlife, you know, and really kind of starting to think about how do you integrate them into your management and what, you know, maybe ecosystem benefits are you getting from having that species there that aren't as apparent. So, you know, things like um, and a lot of the ranchers in the Marathon Basin, you know, would notice that their cattle would migrate to the prairie dog towns during certain times of the year. And so that, you know, raises the question. So they're like, okay, well, maybe I can weather drought a little bit better than if I didn't have prairie dogs. And how does that um, work together? So, you know, asking those questions and really kind of having, a, you know, a, I would say a broader um, attitude toward, you know, all types of the, um, species within an ecosystem. Okay. So, um, black-tailed prairie dogs, is that the species that's throughout Texas or how many different species? Now I'm going to do a pop quiz for you, Colm. How many different species of prairie dogs are there and what are the prairie dogs that could be seen in Texas? Yeah. So, I know there's one species of prairie dog in Texas, and that's the black-tailed prairie dog. Um, there's several species of prairie dogs throughout the United States. Um, but yeah, black-tailed prairie dogs are the only ones that really occur in Texas. Okay. So like I, I was at Caprock Canyon State Park. Oh God, I guess that was sometime last year and we saw prairie dogs. So what we were seeing were black-tailed prairie dogs. Yes, ma'am. Okay. They're really cute. 
<laughs> but then I'm not a rancher, so so everybody has a different opinion about them, I suppose. Well, um, that's, you know, that, that's why they're popular in the pet trade. They're cute and they're social, so. <laughs> yes, they are. They really are. Um, you know, I'm always interested in people's backstories and, and call them. I had, a, you know, the opportunity to interview you and, and learn a little bit about yours when I wrote a story for you that's on the, um, the BRI website. But I want you to tell your, your story and just tell us kind of about your journey that led to, to the Borderlands Research Institute. Was that for Dr. Warnock or myself? No, for you, for you. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so um, I started out um, as, an, you know, I grew up in Bernie, Texas as an only child on my parents' um, property. And because I was an only child, uh, it, I kind of naturally grew towards um, learning about the flora and the fauna that existed on that property. Um, and those interests grew to me volunteering with Texas Parks and Wildlife when I was in middle school throughout in high school, um, as well as at Cibolo Nature Center. And once I graduated high school, there was pretty much no doubt in my mind what I was going to study. And so um, I went up to Tarleton State University to complete my undergraduate in wildlife management. And while I was at Tarleton State University, um, I had the opportunity to work on um, a cattle ranch as well as kind of a, a wildlife ranch and then also worked several summer internships, one of which was um, for the Rolling Plains Coal Research Ranch, where I was um, stationed at a ranch uh, near Breckenridge, Texas, um, where I oversaw a northern bobwhite translocation. And this project is what really kind of piqued my interest in um, collar data and vegetation data, um, following the bobwhites around and just seeing the different vegetation associations that they were at as I was following them around. Um, and with this experience, uh, when I graduated Tarleton, I went out to find a thesis or a graduate school program with a project that looked at um, spatial data, collar data, and vegetation data together. Um, and so I applied um, for this project that was funded by the Nature Conservancy and uh, was selected. And, and that was the start of, of this journey. Um, and that, that, yeah. That's awesome. Now, I, I also understand that you've had a mentor, probably more than one, but uh, certainly one special mentor that has kind of helped guide your journey. Do you want to tell us about him? Yeah, so when I was younger, um, we were at a, a bakery in Bernie, and I was fairly young, maybe seventh grade in middle school, and um, the local parks and wildlife biologist there, um, who was, his name was Rufus Stevens, and uh, I asked to volunteer with him and started volunteering with him, doing spotlight surveys and dove banding and, and working at um, meat lockers, doing uh, harvest surveys on white-tailed deer. And uh, this relationship kind of just grew um, over the years and we've main maintained uh, communication. Um, and still today we talk, you know, every week or every two weeks. And um, it's been a great relationship that I've benefited from tremendously. That's a, that's a great lesson to learn early about, about the importance of, of, of mentors. And Dr. Warnock, do you have any comment about that? Well, and that's, you know, I think everybody has really good uh, mentors that they, 
you know, look up to, you know, in a lot of ways, mine was my dad, you know, going out on the ranch and, you know, just being kind of immersed in those outdoor experiences. Um, but, you know, as a faculty member, one of the things that I really aspire to is being those, that mentor, you know, and having um, that impact um, on the young people who are coming through the university. So, we were in a meeting one time talking about legacies and, you know, this idea, well, oh, you should write a book. I, people tell me that a lot. And I'm like, you know, that's not my legacy. You know, my, to me, my legacy is the young people who come through the university. Yeah. Well, you know, be, being a dean in a, in, a, in a college is a is a big deal. I mean, was that your career goal from the beginning? Tell us a little bit about your path and your career path. So no, that was not. That was <laughs> I, not I had a feeling that was the answer, but I, I, I'll throw it out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know, I started um, out, you know, wanting to. I love plants, you know, and I wanted to do something that had to do with plants. Um, I, you know, loved gathering plants, identifying plants, pressing plants um, when I was in high school, and so. Um, you know, trying to find um, a path for that, you know, I was looking at biology and then I discovered range science and I was like, oh my gosh, there's actually a field that you can go into um, that, you know, combines kind of plants and ranching. <laughs> and so, so I really, you know, looked at that. Um, I came to Saul Ross um, and Dr. Rob Kanukin was the um, faculty advisor for the Range and Wildlife Club and did a lot of things. And he was really, you know, instrumental in, you know, helping me with my education, moving um, forward. Then I went on to um, Texas A&M and got a PhD in um, soil science. And, you know, Dr. Hallmark was another um, really great mentor. Um, but what I really wanted to do was teach. Um, and so getting in, and I'm really, really passionate about undergraduate education. That's, I guess, what my, I will say my true love is. Um, but one of the things, you know, as you kind of move through your career is you start looking at how you make the biggest impact on the most people. And so at this point in my life really moving into that position as Dean and being able to provide um, leadership and opportunities to a wider um, range of young people um, has been something that I found really worthwhile. And that sends such a powerful message to all the students, but particularly your female students. Yes. So that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. And also just, uh, I mean, did, did you, kind of aim to, to, to be at Sol Ross to be close to home or was that just it just it just worked out that way because it seems to me that you're in a wonderful position to be close to your family your family land the ranch you you, you and your husband operate it just it seems like a pretty sweet spot well that is um so I remember so after I guess it was I can't remember whether it's between my master's and when I started working on my PhD or while I was doing classes for my PhD, but I had a conversation with Dr. Kanukin, who was then Dean of the college. And um, I didn't think that there was a lot of opportunity um, here because the, um, you know, it was kind of like all the faculty were kind of young and not, 
in a position to really move on very soon. And I told him, I was like, man, you know, teaching at Saul Ross is my dream job. That is what I want to do. And um, so I guess it was probably a couple of years later, he called and said, hey, Dr. Loomis has taken a job with USDA Soil Survey, and I need somebody to teach a couple of classes next semester. And I was like, oh, yes, I'll be there. And I've been here ever since. That That is wonderful. And, you know, your reference to dream job, I think, is the perfect segue to ask Colm about um, the, the, this next question. And, and that is that I understand that you've just started a new job. Tell us about that. Yeah, so uh, December 1st, I got, um, I hired on as a wildlife biologist um, for Texas Parks and Wildlife, uh, covering Bell, Coriel, and Williamson counties on the eastern side of the Edwards Plateau. Uh, my primary responsibilities um, for this job, really just working with the landowners um, within those counties, kind of being the Parks and Wildlife uh, liaison between the landowners um, county government officials. Um, and so, yeah, it's, I started and it's been a blast. That's um, wonderful. Certainly different. I was going to say, so wait a minute. So, so since December, you've been working full-time at Parks and Wildlife. You've been yep. finishing up your, your graduate degree. You finished up your project and you defended a thesis. All, yeah. Is so that right? When, yeah. When I started, I was in the end stages of writing my thesis. Um, but yeah, yeah. So now what are you going to do with all the spare time you have now? <laughs> uh, publish. publish. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Publish. And you know, I, I'd like to ask you for some advice, Colm. What would you, what advice would you give young people? You know, maybe some kid in middle school somewhere that's interested in wildlife. What advice would you give them, you know, to, to get where you are today? Follow your dreams. I think is the, the thing. If you want to do it, don't seek opportunities that are going to um, provide you with success in the future. Well, that's a great thought to close this podcast on. Dr. Warnock, do you have any closing thoughts? No. Well, I'll just reiterate, you know, that idea of columns, follow your dreams, you know, don't let anyone tell you that, you know, that you can't do something, you know, if you continue to strive, continue to reach out, you know, you can, you can really take advantage of those opportunities and you can have your dream job. Well, thank you both for your time and column. Congratulations. And here's to the next chapter of your life. Borderlands Buzz is brought to you by the Borderlands Research Institute at Sol Ross State University and sponsored by Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation. Find out more about our work at bri.solross.edu.